Good day, and welcome to The Pandemic Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. Dave transcends time and space to talk with Sean McCammon on the Waterloo Moraine in Kitchener, Ontario. Sean shares how he has been working with his squad to teach outdoor education virtually. Sean and the Nature Squad have been running virtual bird counts, monster tree hunts, and milkweed hunts for butterflies. He shares what it's like to release his new book, Outside, during the pandemic. Many years ago, Sean made friends to last a lifetime working at a camp for campers with diabetes. They recently had a virtual bonfire and Sean said it was a shocker how positive the experience was. Connecting with nature, especially during the pandemic, is key. Too many of us suffer from nature deficit disorder. Nurture nature. Sean, thank you for your time today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, David. All things considered, I'm doing quite well, I think. Can you tell us what was your life like in before times, before the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, David, I, I work as an outdoor educator with the uh, school board in town here. So I work at the Laurel Creek Nature Center and students get on buses every single day to come see me. And we go out in the woods and look for birds or go down in the pond and catch things. One year ago, all that changed, all that changed. And I am now online with students every day. I'm still an environmental educator and I am teaching them about birds they can see out their window and how to compost and I've got a maple syrup program coming up. I've tapped a couple trees in my backyard. So it's certainly changed and it's very different from what my job was before. It's fascinating how you are bringing the outdoors indoors virtually. And I'm really concerned about nature deficit disorder among children and adults, especially people living in the cities. It's just fascinating, interesting and compelling how you are helping people get outside while inside. It, to some degree, it blows my mind. It is such a contradiction, but it seems to be working. When I watch your videos and your songs about trees and about birds and the production value that goes into it and the team that you have around you, it really helps me with the pandemic blues. And it lets me know as much as things have changed, we're still all in this together. And it feels like the work that you do and outdoor educators are doing around the world is really important work. And it's not just fighting nature deficit disorder, but it's also uniting humanity. Besides getting on with, with students each day, my colleagues and I have, have developed some system-wide projects where we've challenged students to go out and find the largest trees in Waterloo region, to identify birds, to find milkweeds, plants for, for monarch butterflies. And so we've had like these system-wide events going on, which I think parents as much as teachers have latched onto, that they've seen, oh, there's this project to go out and look for trees and I want my kids to be outside and this is something we're keen on. We saw a big tree driving by and we said, you know, maybe on the weekend we can go out and measure that tree and figure out what species it is. And so I think people during the pandemic have kind of you know, they figured out that their their mental health is tied to being outside and having a connection with nature. I think also during the pandemic, people are realizing all the stuff that lives around them, that 
where they used to be rushing around off to work, back to school, that for a lot of people when they were at home, looking out the window, suddenly they realized, hmm, I've got, I've got a family of rabbits that lives in the corner of my yard. I've seen a blue jay. And I, you know, some people said, oh, I, I haven't seen a blue jay since I was a kid. Blue jays are around us like four seasons of the year, squawking everywhere. And I think people just overlook that. Maybe, you know, the pandemic has been a pain in the rear end, but I think in some ways it's made people slow down a little bit and maybe notice more what's around them. That's a great observation. About two weeks ago, I was woken up in the middle of the night by, well, not in the middle of the night, 5 a.m., by a great horned owl that was outside hunting the rabbits. I've noticed it was a pretty good year for rabbits. Just prepping for this interview, doing some research, I was outside listening to some birds and I saw what may have been a pelleted woodpecker. I want to think, I want to believe it was a red, red necked woodpecker or red headed woodpecker, but pelleted, it could be that too. Hey, you're a little bit south. There's a chance you could get a red headed woodpecker down where you are there. They have a very dark, like a wine colored head, very bold. There's also red bellied woodpeckers, which are a little bit more common, which also have red on the back of their head. I loved your big tree monster tree challenge. I did not know that you measured a tree at 1.4 meters off the ground. And there's more than one trunk before 1.4 meters off the ground, it's more than one tree. That, so I'm just learning from your channel. It's helping me interact with the trees in my in my bubble. I also got a real kick out of one of your Twitter posts. I encourage everyone to follow Sean on Twitter. You told people, rightfully so, educating the masses, there are no physical distancing requirements around trees. And everybody should get out there and hug a tree since they can't hug their friends. Can you tell us a little bit about how your monster tree challenge went? In the past in Waterloo region, uh, some hunts for the largest trees of different species. I think it was organized by the field naturalists of Ontario. And so, you know, we were just looking for, for activities that, you know, teachers could latch on to this as well, because there's lots of curriculum stuff and measuring trees and identifying trees. And it was also in the fall, so the leaves are coming off so you can figure out what things are. And we, we kind of linked in with Halloween that we were looking for monster trees. And so, you know, we, we, we put it out there. We didn't really have strict guidelines on how students should do this. We just said measure trees, you know, one and a half meters above the ground and send in your, send in your pictures. And something I found interesting, David, is that we asked families to send in, in pictures of these trees. And we said, don't show faces. Don't show faces of kids because, you know, if, if these things get shared around. Privacy concerns. Privacy concerns. But you know what? This was the best part of it, right? Is that kids were hugging trees and, and standing amazed with their eyes wide open beside these giant trees. And everybody was sending us in all these pictures with faces anyways, even though it said on our thing, don't use faces. So I emailed all these parents and I said, can we use your picture? Can we use your picture? Because obviously they were proud of what they'd done and were keen to show it off. And so, yeah, I wrote a little song and made a video and put in all these pictures of kids standing beside giant trees, so proud of what they've done and hugging the trees and classes of students trying to reach their arms all the way around by holding hands. And 
you know, we, we started out thinking, okay, this is going to kind of be a science thing. We're going to figure out what the largest trees are. But, you know, it turns into all these science things turn into human stories and turns, in, turn in, turns into something more powerful than just the educational part of it. One of the takeaways I had from the monster tree is just how sacred trees are and how important our connections to them are. And you saw that in the joy in the images of the people participating in the monster tree challenge. It was quite inspirational. And the bird, your bird song, fantastic. For people who haven't seen it, he's got a hockey stick. He physically distanced with other people and he hands them binoculars. I think he might've even been using a curling, a curling broom at one point to hand things to people. It shows how people have been able to adapt to the virtual environment that we find ourselves in, especially bringing nature into the house. What were some of the more interesting birds that were recorded during your, your fall bird count and winter bird counts? We had lots of uptake for our bird counts. And so we got, you know, every expected species that you would think of in Waterloo region. So we got, you know, the common things, the blue jays, the cardinals, the chickadees, the crows. But we did have the pileated woodpeckers. We did have the ruddy ducks and all sorts of wetland birds and I sometimes you worry when you just pitch it to kids, go out and identify birds. And we gave them like ID sheets to help them out that you're going to get back ostrich or whatever. But, you know, the, the list that came back from students, whether they were helped out by parents or teachers, you know, were, were accurate, were exactly what we expected and the numbers that we expected that, you know, you figure you're going to get a few thousand crows and you figure you, you're going to get, you know, one or two brown creepers or something like that. And that's exactly what we got. And so it was accurate. And again, this was one of these things where teachers might introduce students to it, but then the students go home and they say, hmm, there's this project, this school board wide project, and can we go out and look for birds? And so when they put in their, when they gave us our lists, they would also include a comment section. And there are just so many comments that said, my family and I went out every day after school looking for birds. My grandmother, I never knew this, but my grandmother was really interested birder. And so I went out with her and we drove out in the country and looked for snowy owls. And, you know, it's just, just another activity that gets people outside, connects them with nature, connects them with each other. You know, these science, these things that we start off, you know, being school board thinkers here, we start out thinking, okay, how can we meet curriculum expectations by doing outdoor ed events? And it just turns into, you know, something that humanizes each other and connects people. Valuable stuff. Yep. So important to connect, to connect with nature. And it's inspiring to see how the next generation has risen to the occasion with their observations and their comments. That's one of the trends that we've seen across interviews that there's a lot of faith in the next generation. And it's great that there's supports in place for that with public education. I don't wanna to get too much into this, but listeners have heard me ranting and ranting and ranting. You're involved in maple syrup and I have just been so upset with how the conservation authorities have lost a lot of their powers to protect nature. I've also was disgusted when the Laurel Creek Sugar Shack was closed. I felt like this was at a, a in it went against the spirit of reconciliation because I that that outdoor education program with the sugar bush taught how the First Nations helped the colonial settlers and taught them about maple syrup production and how to how to make this sweet delicious 
food from tree sap and to see the public funding get ended on that and knowing that there'll be thousands of kids in the area that will miss out on that opportunity it just it really made me angry and it was you know david it was a it was a place of joy it was a place of well-being for everybody that came out and it's sad and hope hopefully i don't know hopefully something can rise from the ashes but yeah that was that was a that was a big kick in the pants there i i would just go on the record as saying i've got the sugar shack blues but it'll be interesting to see with the pandemic it's shown us that so much can be done so much change can happen in a short period of time i wonder as we go through the pandemic past decisions will be rethought and maybe we'll have more positive outcomes but moving right along you are a prominent musician and you've just added published author to your resume can you tell us a little bit about your book and what it's like to publish a book in the middle of a pandemic yeah well you know i started writing this book uh, i'm gonna say seven years ago i wrote like ten thousand words and i put it on a shelf and then i i i took six months off from the school board i had a sabbatical and i sat down daily to write before the pandemic i was sitting at home for six months writing finishing off my novel when i got back to work after six months that was march 1st of last and i had two weeks of work and then we were all sent home again so you know, I, it felt to me a little bit like I was just back in back in my sabbatical mode, stuck in my house on my computer every day. My six months off was pandemic-like, that I was in my house, on a laptop, go for a walk at lunch, come back, you know, sit down, do it again. Writing, for writing, for people who are writers, I think the pandemic is just kind of like regular life probably that you're in in your house, on your computer, in your own head for too much of the time. But as far as publishing goes, I sent the novel out into the world and I got lovely publisher, New Star Books out in, out in Vancouver that picked it up. And you know, normally you would have like a book launch. You would have readings. You would have, you would go to the local library and read your book and people would show up and maybe buy the thing. And so as far as as far as that goes, that's all out the window right now. So it's all just online promotion. And I don't know, maybe, maybe this podcast right here, Dave, maybe this is part of the, the book promotion. The original working title was Last Call at the Rising Sun. There's a bar in Japan called the Rising Sun where the main character ends up frequently. The guy who's in, in this bar in Japan, he's a teacher from Ontario and he's in Japan. You're not really quite sure why he's in Japan except that something really went wrong in his life back in Ontario. So the novel runs it's got one narrative in the present where the guy is in Japan obviously going through some sort of traumatic psychological experience and the other path is just him in, in small town Ontario teaching at a, a rural school and you're kind of learning what what happened in his life to to put him in Japan. The publisher said, we don't want to frame this as another fish out of water story about a white guy in a different culture. Really about, it's more of a small town story. And it's more about this guy who really wanted his students to be outside. And once he gets to Japan, he's kind of an outsider. So are you going to be supporting the book virtually? 
It, it's in stores, it's in Amazon, it's on Indigo. It's called Outside. I think it's a good read. My wife is reading it for the fourth time. And I think it's an easy read, too. The chapters are very short. One of the editors I had described it as popcorn. You eat a piece of popcorn, and then, oh, well, it was easy. I eat another piece, and then it's 2 in the morning, and you've eaten the whole bag of popcorn. You would be open to doing online readings, participating in virtual literary festivals, and that will probably be the direction you need to go to support your book in the in the short term. That's right. And the publisher has also suggested we have a virtual book launch with... Now, you are a fantastic musician. You have an album, Songs from the Sugar Bush. You're in the band Ridgewalker. It's my understanding you, you were using your music. You took your music virtually to a online bonfire. Could you tell us a little bit about that? It's just been interesting how artists are pivoting, people are pivoting. We need our music. We need our art. We need our cultural products. So could you could you describe for the pandemic show what a virtual bonfire is like? I worked at a camp for children with diabetes for several years. There is a large alumni group associated with that. And one of the guys suggested, you know, let's have an online camp. We'll just get on and people one at a time can play camp songs and people at home can sing along. I will tell you, David, when I was approached with this idea, I dragged my because I thought this is not going to be a campfire. This is going to be a sad collection of people singing songs from their glory days. I said, I'll sing a couple songs, but it turned out, David, this was a lovely experience that you got on. And when I was playing guitar, I could see all the faces of all the people singing along and, and they were playing their own little instruments along in the background, even though I couldn't hear them, it was just, it was another connected experience through Zoom. A lot of people make fun of Zoom, I think, but this has been uh, a great tool for the pandemic. Back in April, my wife and I at 4.30 would get on Zoom every single day, every single day with a small group of friends. And then that group got bigger and bigger. And we're still Zooming once a week with a bunch of friends. And Another good way to stay connected, just to be able to see people's faces and react to what they're saying and seeing them react to what you're saying is is good for your brain. And was there a bonfire or was it a metaphorical bonfire? Well, there were several people sitting in front of fireplaces, like gas fireplaces and fracked gas stoves. Yeah. So there were there were probably fifty people in this campfire, fifty cameras anyways, with families. Yeah, there was there was nothing that was physically on fire in the in the center. What changes have you noticed with the pandemic that stand out to you as a musician, a published author, and an outdoor educator? Yeah, how important personal connections are, how important... I will give you an example. So in my job now, I am like the guest speaker. So I pop into different classes every day. You know, right now I'm doing grade one and twos, grade grade one and two, talking about animals in their neighborhood. And I show them trail camera videos from the nature center you know they're so happy to see me show up here's the guy he shows us some pictures of animals some videos he reads a story he plays his guitar and they're so grateful like they are just they're grateful for another human to be doing something or put in efforts to make their day better i think a lot of people are just more grateful about things and that you're more grateful about going for a walk 
and you're more grateful about seeing a great horned owl. And hopefully this spills over when, when we're all vaccinated and people do not take for granted social gatherings and having a teacher, you know, dedicated to being up in front of a group of students every single day. Hopefully we hang on to some of that. I, I just want to clarify, I might have been a little bit grateful when the great horned owl woke me up, but I was also really ticked off at it. it woke me up at five. I'd been hoping to sleep a little bit longer. Then my dogs wanted to go out. I did appreciate the great horned owls eating the rabbits. I saw I saw a great horned owl yesterday in my neighborhood getting chased by we heard we heard crows daily walk and there was a bunch of crows going nuts in a pine tree and sure enough they chased out a great horned owl this is right in kitchener right in the middle of kitchener if i were bustling around in my daily life i would not have seen that i spend most of my time with my family bubble and there's a fox that lives in the neighborhood. I had heard about it from the neighbors when they're, everyone's walking their dogs, but I hadn't seen it until one morning. There was a bunch of crows cawing, and they were following the fox around. And the fox was just sitting on the lawn, chilling, looked like he wanted to become friends with my dogs. It was maybe he wanted to eat them. The crows' cause can really help you see something spectacular in nature. That's right. They alert you to the presence of maybe something you think is more interesting than crows. And we're in the end of winter, the first third of March. Am I correct that great horned owls are nesting right now and foxes are also kidding right now? Yeah, foxes Foxes have had their kits, cubs uh, already probably. A teacher sent me a picture of a, an adult fox carrying a baby into her backyard. Foxes, I think foxes are one of these animals that is figuring out how to live with people better than before. In Europe, it's very common to have foxes, like in London, England, there's thousands of foxes in the city of London, you know, sleeping on rooftops. And I think we're seeing that more more with foxes locally. Do you think it's because less people have guns and shoot them? I, they are, a lot of animals, I think, in some ways safer in the city. If you're a deer, Living in a, on a golf course in the city, you know, there's no wolves, there's no bears, there's no hunting in the city. And so in some ways, our cities sometimes are refuges for animals. You mentioned vaccines. We're getting into the vaccination stage of the pandemic. We're a year in here in Ontario. What do you think we have to look forward to when or if this pandemic ends? What, what do you we, think life, what life will it be like in after times? Well, what are we looking forward to? Well, for example, my father lives in a retirement home in Cornwall, and I have not seen him since Labor Day. There's so much problems with social isolation. And my dad's, you know, just to be able to hug him after, you know, six or eight months is going to be is going to be something. I'm going to say when the pandemic started for like the first month, I, I thought, you know, in a lot of ways, this is good for humanity. Just to take a breather, take a break. We don't have to go 100 miles an hour all the time. Hopefully we can keep the good parts of that when we come out of this, that people maybe are a little bit more connected, recognizing the, the value of nature to them. What's life going to be like? I hope it's 70 five percent of what it was i hope that we can keep the good stuff but maybe just slow it all down a little bit just take a break from the rushing around and realize family and friends and just 
small connections with people are are more valuable than money there is a real positive mental health benefit of being outside physical health benefit an educational benefit of all everything pretty much is science life sciences when you're outside yeah in japan they have that forest bathing that terminology is really caught on here you see advertisements for forest bathing in local conservation areas and and forest bathing yoga and all of those types of wonderful activities that can connect people to the land and to the sacred nature of nature and doctors writing prescriptions for people walk in the woods there you go Wow, that's fantastic that people, well, that's kind of sad that it's gotten so bad that doctors have to write prescriptions, but it's great that doctors are on top of this situation and able to write prescriptions. I, I think it's just a reminder that sometimes the, the fresh air is going to be just as good for you as the pharmaceutical. It's a natural antidepressant, mm -hmm. a natural wellness strategy. That's right. Sean, this has been a very informative conversation. Thank you here on the Pandemic Show and talking about the importance of nature, music, and how exciting reading and writing are. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure being on. Hopefully I can come back. Thanks for listening to The Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemic Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Do you have an interesting pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the pandemic show.